Lord Lucan vanishes by Torin Lucas. Chapter 2. Consider Yourself Fired. October 31st, 1974. Lord Lucan sat behind the wheel of the borough Blue Fort Corsair. He parked across from the Lucan home at 46 Belgrave Street, as usual just beyond the cast of the street line. For Lucan, this was as close to coming home as it could be. He folded his newspaper and stuffed the lighted smoldering cigarettes into the overflow ashtray. Opening the door onto the road, he stood motionless, sensing the cold chill of the November evening, and gazed up to see the silhouette of three children running past the curtained window. He could easily distinguish them in sequence, seven-year-old George, chased by his two sisters, Frances, ten, and Camilla, the youngest, just four years old. He turned his collar and dug his hands into the bottom of his trench coat pockets. The door swung open before he arrived. I thought he'd never come to the door. Veronica stood at the threshold, swaying slightly in tents. Lucan could see that she had been crying again, but for pity's sake he swallowed his rage. Yes, well, here I am. How are the children? Dad, cried George, his head peeking out from around Veronica's waist. Are you coming in? Lucan brightened immediately, his demeanor melting into delight, but only for a moment as it returned again to a detached compartment. No, not this evening, George, but soon, he assured him. I need to talk to your mother at the moment. You go in and help your sisters to bed. And will you bring the backgammon again? Good night, son. I Don't tell me you're teaching them to gamble. It's not like that, Veronica. It's just for fun, bloody hell. Did you win tonight? I did. Oh, thank Christ, we haven't been able to pay the milkman. And did you cancel the Harrods grocery delivery? Lucan took the cue to unfurl the map. The faded parchment, delicate and ancient, unfurled before their eyes. Illustrations of exotic birds of paradise surrounded the scene of porters carrying a blue figure aloft by a smudge of green. Lucan handled it with some reverence and held it up to Veronica as if presenting an offering to a capricious pharaoh. Veronica sniffed. What's that? I want it, Lucan responded proudly. Veronica snatched the map and opened it between her outstretched arms. Careful, said Lucan, his hands clasped in the air pathetically. Veronica narrowed her eyes. She angled the map under the yellow lamplight. Is it valuable, John? For Christ's sake, please tell me you can sell it. Of course it's valuable. The Indians have gone mad for it. But can you sell it? Don't you have an imagination, Veronica? It's a map. Lucan smiled. He savored the sensation of having some trace of influence still remaining. Her upturned, tear-streaked face expressed that hope that Veronica had once placed in him, a treasured hope and a future long since crushed by his losses, his lies and delusions. It's something called the Panchantera. It's, it's magic, he said smugly. Four-year-old Camilla appeared. She had emerged from under her mother's nightgown to stand quite suddenly in front of her father. She pulled her face and made a click-click-click sound, which caused her to squeal with delighted laughter. Ah, there's my little monkey, laughed Lucan. And then as suddenly as she appeared, she had vanished, leaving Lucan alone again with his estranged wife. Her steady undertow of anxiety and searching eyes darted between him and the map. He composed himself, not wanting emotion to interfere with domestic matters. I've written a check for the milkman. Good, well, 
That's it, then, she said. Yes, I suppose it is, replied Luke dryly, and without a further word of goodbye withdrew down the stairs into the night. Veronica returned indoors with the map to watch him through the curtain window. Lucan took several steps along the sidewalk before casting his eyes over his shoulder to confirm the door had closed, and then abruptly reversed his direction of travel and returned back towards his parked Ford. Suddenly, just as he was absently reaching into his pocket for his car keys, the full weight of a heavy shoulder caught him with force. His back hit against a rough stone wall. An aching in his lungs extinguished his breath. Before he could gasp, his assailant punched him hard in the pit of the stomach. His other arm pinned him by the neck to the wall. What do we have here, then? You've taken the boss's money, hissed his assailant from a broken mouth. His eyes gleamed hot from under a crooked black fedora. Lucan could not speak, though he tried. And that makes us not happy, in it, lordy lord. He'll be getting Aspinall's money back before he gets his hands dirty. We wouldn't want him to get dirty. Lucan managed to rasp simply. I'm always good for it. Another blow to the stomach silenced him. Without the stiff arm to pin him, Lucan slid slowly down. The ache of asphyxiation throbbed his lungs. Footsteps receded. Consciousness blurred. The shards of warm light from 46 Lower Belgrave Street extinguished into darkness. The feeling of breathing returned slowly as he allowed his clenched eyes to open. The door of Aspinall's 1974 Mercedes-Benz 280 limousine lay open, and an occupant was leaning out, calling something vague and far away. Lucan slowly returned to his senses. He had known the car well and seeing it evoked happier times, of testing the car with Aspinall at the Stuttgart Utentürkenheim track in Germany. Aspinall sat in his fur coat and was mouthing something indistinct. Slowly rising to his feet, Lucan fought hard to fortify himself. He brushed his coat, looked up at the stillness of his former home, he steadied himself, conjured a sense of lost dignity. Come on, Lucan, we're all catching cold. Get in here. Lucan entered the limousine gingerly. He noted the fedora atop the chauffeur who sat at the front of the limousine and tasted bitter rage from its swollen mouth. He clenched his teeth and took the seat opposite John Aspinall and Elizabeth, the croupier from the casino. She looked like a cornered cat. This is Elizabeth Murphy. Aspinall blinked. A pregnant pause hung as the occupants of the car waited for a response from Lucan. Elizabeth here works for me. At the casino? I think you remember her, John? Lucan looked to Elizabeth, still conscious of the dull throb in his stomach. Yes, of course, he said. I discovered her robbing the club. You disappoint me, John. I thought you may have mentioned that to me. Is that why you've attacked me in the street? Well, I don't have the money. Tossing a glance to Elizabeth. You should have just asked this one for it. Lucan turned his indignation through the limousine window to be washed upon the rain-soaked street. Look, old man, I didn't want all this. My employees are dedicated, sometimes a bit overzealous, you might say. But we can't have this business of stealing, Lucky. It won't do. And I'm on to everything, of course. You know that. It's not me who has your money, Lucan replied. The casino has reported that you cashed in your chips and left with a briefcase of cash. Lucan was about to respond, but was interrupted. I'm loyal, Lucky. 
Aspinall was now close enough for his blue stratus cologne to reach his nostrils. But I need the truth. I can't protect you this time. It's too dangerous for me. And now, now I'm getting the squeeze. Climbing back in his seat, Aspinall transformed to his former nonchalance. Remember the good old days, Lucky? smiled lazily. We could just walk away from something like this and go back to our school chums at Eaton. Lucan stared blankly. But, but Elizabeth here says that you have the money. Isn't that right, darling? Aspinall had wrapped an arm around her shoulder, creating the effect of a fur scarf clasping her neck. Elizabeth tried to turn her head in Aspinall's direction, but the fur scarf allowed only a flashing sideways glance. Her eyes welled. Lucan could see that she was struggling to maintain that dignity that he had seen so poised at the casino, now caged and cornered. Their eyes met. She tried to speak. I I've got your money, Lucan blurted. Then give it back, Aspinall hissed. With some composure now achieved, Lucan continued. It's not her, or at least she's not the one with the money. It's her companion who has it all. It's the other one. The one with the beard. Under my employ, I'll endeavor to retrieve it for you. That's good of you, Lucky. So that's how it is then. Run off with the circus. What's next? The great train robbery. Aspinall uncoiled his arm from Elizabeth's neck and darting his head quickly to its position just inches from Lucan's eyes. We're all above all this, you and I, Lucky. You and I? You know, there's nothing I wouldn't do. Lucan searched Aspinall for signs of friendship, but felt only the wink and the nod Aspinall might give to any returning client at the casino. It was a sort of vague contempt, and a pity one might have for a captured beast. He felt understood at least. He felt understood at least, this cold detachment. He deserved nothing more. He was being summed up with calculation, and the odds were against him. And continued Aspinall, relaxing into the plumped seat pillows. It seems to have created quite a stir with our Indian guests. He lit a long tip cigarette and exhaling, they'd like to play you for it. The thought of a wager instantly captured Lucan. He felt that sensation of winning like a warm elixir easing the pain in his stomach. The chance to increase his earnings off that confounded map was a simple formula, but he hesitated. The map and its alluring illustrations, its possibilities, it had begun to charm him. That someone else wanted it, only the fact that someone else wanted it, only increased the enchantment. He recalled Elizabeth's of a big scam, the scam that Aspinall had been orchestrating. Veronica and the cancelled Harrods grocery delivery. Her anguish. Her incessant weeping. It could be a big pot, Lucky. Yes, of course I'll play. Let's double the ante at a cool 100,000. Lucan had by now long since confused a natural sense of danger with opportunity and possibility. That would be pound sterling, not rupia, chuckled Aspinall. The car came to a stop outside Lucan's apartment. He had taken these lodgings a short walk from the family home. Get out with him, Elizabeth, will you? Your man here looks like he might need some care and attention. And don't come back, he said as she moved to leave. Consider yourself fired. Mercedes left the curb and disappeared into the night's fog. Are you okay, he said, 
and a voice that was meant to say, I know you're not, but let's not talk about it. Alone with her in the empty street made her suddenly real to him, small and wounded like a bird that's flown indoors, quietly blinking at him in fear. But Elizabeth wasn't afraid. She sensed Lucan's awkwardness and found it endearing. I suppose you should come in, don't you think, he said. Elizabeth smiled. I'd like that. Once Lucan's door closed, a crow landed on the front step, in the spot where they had stopped to kiss one another. Another crow remained as if on sentry upon the electric wire above the road. Another alighted by its side, and then another 